Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Blue Jay Beat Postgame Podcast. I'm your host, Matt DeMarinis from White and Blue Review. Um, this podcast is sponsored by CourtDate. Uh, CourtDate.io is kind of the new way to play in Omaha. Our buddy Matt Hoover used to do some analytics stuff for us at White and Blue Review. Um, it's his little startup that you basically, if you know, if you're a hooper in the Omaha metro area and you're looking for a place to to get some skill work in, if you have a trainer um, and you guys need a gym, um, if you have a team that needs to, to get a practice in, if you just want to get some open gym runs in and you need a place to play, um, Matt's got the hookup on some COVID-friendly, socially distanced, uh, follows protocols, everything that you need. Um, he'll be your middleman to hook you up with local facilities in the Omaha metro area. With uh, the weather getting nice, I'm sure they'll be hitting up some outdoor places if you want to get some tennis if you, like, if you play tennis, uh, whatever you need. So hit up courtbait.io um, and let Matt get you hooked up with the local facilities in the area to get you some get you some workouts in. Um, on today's show, we got the man, the Canadian Red Bull himself, Jahens Managa, fresh off a dub over in Lithuania, right? Is that where you guys were at? Hell today? yeah. Got a dub Hell in Lithuania, yeah. came home, told his teammates to get their shit together, get dressed, get ready, get going. I got to watch the Jays. Uh, got home, watched <laughs> the Jays pull one out in the NCAA tournament. So he's working on two dubs today. What are you sipping on, Jahans? What, what are we sipping on today? Got a little rum and coke because the game okay. got a little too close for comfort, <laughs> especially uh, as uh, Santa Barbara like pulled the game close in the second half. So. Got a little anxious, poured a couple of rum and cokes, and now I'm I'm up here enjoying this podcast with you. I just did my locker room uh, session on the locker room app, so had a good amount of fan interaction there. Um, I, I'm excited to see you know what what the fans are saying on, on your, um, you know, on your stream and, and what we can talk about. So it, it's going to be a good time, and let's talk this game because there's a lot that we have to get through. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so obviously, the, I mean, it's funny because. You know, March Madness rolls around, and we. I think it's. I think it's funny because we watch all these games um, before Creighton plays, right? And you know, Ohio State and Oral Roberts go to overtime. Purdue, North Texas goes to overtime. Like Florida, Virginia Tech, all these games down to the wire. There's been very few blowouts so far. And then you're like, man, this tournament's crazy. And then Creighton plays, and you're like, oh my god, they're not blowing this team out. It's so stressful. <laughs> Yeah. It's, <laughs> like what look, goes through your mind? When, when did you realize? I mean, you've been through it, so you probably were expecting it, yeah. right? I hope so anyway. But like when when I, when UCSB comes back after 47-37 and takes the lead, you're like, oh, yeah, this is March Madness. Or were you – what was your stress level like? So I've, I've been on this side of the media for about, uh, let's call it six months-ish now, a, a little bit less than six months Um so I did my due diligence. I, I scouted some Santa Barbara stuff. I have the Synergy app where I'm able to just watch, you know, individual players, you know, team sets and all that stuff. So that, that's a really good app to have in, in this situation. I knew from the second that, that you, we drew that team that it was going to be a tough one. And uh, I just mentioned on my locker room session that like the 5-12 matchup is so difficult always traditionally because you have to kind of think about how it's set up. It's either like a runner up uh, from like a really good conference or a middle of the pack team from a really good conference at that five seed versus a traditionally tough winning program in a low division one uh, mid-major type of situation. So like winning is a habit and it's the best thing for a program. Once you kind of build that winning mentality and you show the kids what we do works, 
those kids buy in and they could take down anybody in the nation at any given point. That's why that 5-12 matchup has been traditionally so difficult. But once I saw that it was Santa Barbara, I was like, damn, like we really got a, a game in our hands and the boys really need to come and compete and set the tone early if they want to have a comfortable win. Now, obviously that didn't happen today, but they did just enough. <laughs> they did just enough to advance. March Madness is all about surviving and advancing. That's what the boys did, so I'm very happy if you win that they'll six, be moving you, up to the round you, of 32. Yeah, if you win six games in March by one point, you're the national champion. Like, that's it. Like, you don't that's, need – That's exactly what it is. Yeah. If, you can ask any Jays fan right now, would you take that same result, win by one against Ohio or Virginia in their upcoming matchup? They're going to say, yeah, absolutely, because yeah. that means you're moving on to the Sweet right. 16, which has yeah. never been done in program history. So it, it's tough. Uh, it, it wasn't the cleanest game. It wasn't a game that we all anticipated or, you know, wanted. But that's the way that the cookie crumbles sometimes. It's better to mm-hmm. be on the winning end and still dancing than to be on the losing end, getting on a jet tomorrow, getting back to Omaha. So here's one thing I'm really curious about your perspective, because I thought in the first half, um, you know, you, you look at – first of all, you watch UCSB on film and you're like, all right, Ja'Cory McLaughlin is – one of the best point, one of the best players in the country when he's got the ball in his hands in a pick and roll situation, he's super efficient. He's a, he's got a crazy good pull up game. Um, he can get to the rim. He can create for others. When he gets into the teeth, the defense, he's really good at using shot fakes and pass fakes to open up uh, shooters on the, on the weak side and create rotations and stuff like that. So he's a very experienced, very savvy, very poised point guard. So, from that aspect, you're like, okay, Creighton's going to have to get a little bit creative with their ball screen coverages. They're going to have to show him different looks. They can't do the same thing over and over again because he's going to eat them alive. Mm-hmm. It just felt like the start of the game that – because this is the one thing that Creighton hasn't experienced yet is the NCAA tournament. Only Mitch Ballack and only Alex O'Connell have any type of NCAA tournament experience on this roster. So of all the experience they have, that's still the one area where you could – open themselves up for some tightness, some nervous energy, some anxiety a little bit. And I felt like just how late they were in their coverages, um, they seemed like a step slow offensively and defensively. And I wonder, like, is that nerves? Like, do, do you have to fight? Even when you're going through it, like the first, do you remember the first time you were in an NCAA tournament game? Like how long did it take you to settle into just hooping and forgetting about the ramifications of what this game means? Look, it's uh, I, I, I've been very blessed. Obviously, the teams that I played on, um, we had reliable scorers that took a lot of the scoring load off my own shoulders. In fact, I really only had to worry about defense, literally for at least the first half of the first half. Up until like that 10-minute mark, I literally focused on what can I do on the defensive end, rebounding, energy type of stuff uh, to help my team win. I never really had to focus on the scoring load. So like you're talking about that first game against Alabama. Uh, yeah, I, I knocked on a couple of threes early in that game, but like I was really just thinking I got Trevor Relaford and I have to defend. How am I going to do that? Uh, we had guys like obviously Doug uh, speaks for himself, Gregory Echenique, Ethan Roggy were the guys that we really relied on for the scoring punch. So uh, me personally, as far as that, that nervous energy, uh, as far as putting the ball in the hole, I never felt that. But I certainly felt it on the defensive end because I was like, man, if my guy scores on me and he starts to get going for an Alabama team that's not traditionally known to be a, a, a scoring program, like a program that puts a bunch of numbers on the board, uh, then I 
could fail my team from that respect. So, like, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, on the defensive end, for sure, I was, like, a little tight. I was a little nervous. Um, but I didn't have to worry about it on the offensive end so much. What I saw from the guys to, today, especially, like, Denzel Mahoney a little bit in the second half and, and Damian Jefferson throughout the game, uh, Mitch Ballack throughout the game, even though he was the one that actually has NCAA tournament experience, it's just a, a, just a little bit too tight where the ball – uh, should be moving one way. It, it ends up being swung around in, in the opposite way that you would expect. Uh, open shots being missed. Mitch Ballack is good of a shooter that he is, going one for seven, I believe, from three. And the one that he hit really rattled in, out, in again. So uh, once you kind of start to see that, you realize, like, like wow, there, there's really a game happening here. Uh, Santa Barbara has a big chance of upsetting this team if they don't get their act together. But like I said, the models of March Madness and the NCAA tournament is to survive in advance. Survive in advance by any means necessary, just do that. So as long as the boys do that, we're good. They have to keep this going. But I, I fully understand, like, watching on screen and just kind of going through that experience myself, nerves definitely play a big part, especially at this point in the season. Yeah, one – we're, we're going to talk about Christian a lot today, but – Deservedly so, but yeah, we are, and one deservedly so. Yeah, the one play I thought that might have helped them settle in, just mentally, it was that that Denzel play in the first half. I don't know if you remember it, but it, you know, it's like a little inconsequential tie-up, right? But he's re, he's digging in the ball against a big post player, and there's kind of like a, a fight for it, right? And Denzel rips it away, screams, flexes, screams again, talks. Like that, I felt like he was like trying to send a message there that this ain't going down like this. You know what I'm saying? Up to that point, UCSB had been playing really well. Creighton was really struggling to get into a rhythm. And after that, like Marcus Zagorowski got going. He scored eight of the final 10 points. Christian Bishop had been doing all he could to keep him in the game at that point. But when Denzel grabbed yeah. that ball and ripped it away, because normally you see that jump ball tie up, right? And guys are like, yeah. don't want to be the one to let go of the ball first type of deal. But like he snatched it away, flexed, um, got the possession, screamed in the dude's face, talked to him, like let him know, like this ain't this is not how it's gonna go. Um, I felt like that was a tone setting moment. And to see like a guy like Denzel do that, it's easy for like Marcus, Mitch, Christian, DJ to be like, okay, yeah, let's go, you know, because yeah. that's not Denzel's not always the most like boisterous guy. So for him to be exuding that amount of energy, you know, extrovertedly like that like that just sends a message. And I felt like for the rest of the first half, you know, when they made that run to take the four point lead at halftime, like a play like that, I felt like it just juiced him up. Aside from, you know, what it could do to motivate the other guys, what he really did was save a possession for the Jays. And does Zagorowski get that last layup going into halftime if they don't have that extra possession? Who knows? Right, right. But that is a tone-setting play. He had a couple of those. He had another one where he dove headfirst into the sideline trying to save the ball and bounce. Whether or not they get the ball at that point in time, it, is, it doesn't matter. It's okay. just to show the willingness to get dirty, the willingness to get down on the floor, understanding that every possession matters. And as we all saw at, at the end of the game, it came down to possessions and offensive rebound by CB yeah. collecting that ball, trying yeah. to dribble out of traffic happens to get fouled, knocking down two free throws. Every possession matters in, in the NCAA tournament. We saw it against uh, the Ohio state or Roberts uh, game last night. We started again today in the Jays game. Every possession matters. Denzel's willingness to get dirty to, to you know, 
uh, scratch, claw his way to extra possessions. It really set the tone for the Jays. And I thought they really fed off of that. They ended up the the first half, as you mentioned, with Zegarowski kind of taking control, finishing with a great, tough, Ooh. tough right-handed layup, high off the glass. High off the glass. Uh, just Can't be any half off time. The glass. Yeah. yeah. And, and before you know it, you know, the Jays are up forward. They could have easily been down six, seven mm-hmm. points, and it's a totally different circumstance. So, you know, good on Denzel for understanding the moment and what it takes in that moment and uh, for, you know, applying his hustle at the right time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it is kind of funny when you go down to look at how the Jays won this game just in those last moments, right? Because what would you say are Creighton's two biggest areas of weakness with this current, like, team? Like rebounding and free throw shooting, uh, right? Wouldn't that be the two uh, things that come to mind? Those are two things that come to mind for me. Honestly, what what comes to mind about a weakness that this Jays team has is when they have a superstar guard on the other side of the ball. That has been what they've really struggled with all year. Like, let's talk about it if we're going to talk about it. If we're going to be truthful about it, yeah. uh, Champagne destroyed them he, he's kind of like a three four stretch sure. guy yeah he destroyed them we had book night from yukon gave them nightmares even though they won all three times against yukon but it's like those teams that have those star slash superstar guards who can handle the ball pass the ball shoot the ball do everything in between have given the jays fits mm-hmm. and uh on the welcome to the jay podcast i had damian jefferson early on in the season it was a couple of games after book night went crazy I asked him about accepting that defensive um, assignment against a really tough guard or point guard. And he talked to me about it. And he basically said, we're going to have to kind of do it by committee. Last year, they had a yeah. guy in Tyshawn Alexander that they could literally just sick onto that guy and not necessarily worry about it because of how good a defender Tyshawn was when he chose to be. He carried so much of the offensive load for the Jays as well. He was such a great one-two punch with uh, Marcus Zagorowski. But with Tyshawn's departure... Uh, and, and shout out to Tyshawn too. Like, I mean, keeping up with what, what he's been doing, it's awesome to see all of those guys at that next level, you know, performing well. Shout out to Tyshawn. But with him departuring, the Jays really needed to find a guy that's going to be willing to accept that challenge, willing to step in and say, look, this guy has got 11 points in the first however minutes, like before the second meet of timeout. Coach, put me on him. I will do what it takes to get this guy out of the game. They've mm-hmm. kind of struggled to find that, per- that person, that individual. So, when you look at someone, someone like McLaughlin, who has all the green light, a neon green light to do whatever he wants offensively, that is a very scary situation for the yep. Jays, uh, especially defensively. So they did what they had especially to do. Especially with the start he down. got off to, too. Like, he got into a rhythm it, early. It, yeah. Exactly. And then, I mean, I'm not supposed to toot, you know, the opponent's horn too much, but I really like McLaughlin's approach to the game today. Mm-hmm. When he realized the Jays' defensive – uh, rotations against them. Uh, you know, I, I've been paying attention to this all season. And I, I've loved this with Coach Mack and the staff, what they've done with uh, Kalkbrenner and Bishop. They have two different types of defenses. I hope I'm not giving away too much. I hope that Virginia, <laughs> Ohio is not listening to this. I don't think they'll find <laughs> it. <laughs> but what I've noticed all year is that Bishop and Kalkbrenner play two very distinct types of defenses. Mm-hmm. And it works for the Jays because of those guys' individual strengths, right? You never want to put yeah. a guy in a tough situation where they can't do what you're asking of them. With Colt Brenner, they say, bro, you're seven foot, seven foot one. Use your length. Have a deep 
uh, show on ball screens and just use your length influence guards to pull up while another guard is trailing and trying to defend. As opposed with Bishop, they're like, you're an undersized five. You really should be a four, but you're an undersized five. Get out there, pressure guys on ball screens, make sure that the ball gets out of the hand, and then use your athleticism to sprint back and challenge shots at the rim, which he's mm -hmm. done an exceptional job of. He doesn't get enough flowers for what he's done throughout the year. Today was the first time that I saw Coach Mack tell both bigs, look, stay on the gauntlet as yeah. long as you have to. <laughs> make him give up that basketball. Make those other four guys make plays. Yeah. And you're, both doing, credit, you're both doing the gymers today. It, exactly. To their credit, they both did a pretty good job of that. And the reason why I want to say that, you know, you're not supposed to really tap the opponents uh, or, or give him a, a cap on the back too much because I was very impressed with McLaughlin's maturity mm -hmm. for such a young player to accept that, understanding that he's a lead dog, but to accept that, to make everybody around him better, to give the right passes, whether or not his teammates were successful in those conversions or not, he made the right play time and time again. We saw it in the very last play where Sharif Mitchell's six-foot frame challenged the big boy down and and just did just enough to make sure that they didn't convert and also collected the rebound so um, i mean you really have to tip your app your tip your hat uh to both sides of the ball in that situation for sure i mean christian like i thought i was done i thought i had seen all that could impress me about him but then <laughs> if you had told me coming in Honestly, if you had told me at any point, like Creighton is going to win an NCAA tournament game because of an offensive rebound by Christian Bishop that leads to free throws that he hits both of in the final seconds that gives him the edge. I'm like, all right, I can see the offensive rebound, but straight cash on both free throws, that's like, I'm going to need some convincing on that because that's he, that's the one, even if you 57% there, like you just don't know yeah. if you can believe that. But man, he stepped to the line like a 90%er. Like those things didn't even barely touch the net. They touched the rim. That was cash. Like he he was like shout out to him for being that calm in that moment because that's the first time he's ever been in that moment. Right? When's the last time has he's ever taken a game winner at Creighton? Like anything? I don't even not know. O not only that, but in a one in one situation. Yes. Number one. Number two whoa, I need to do more research on this Jays team because Grant Hill gave me a nugget of information on that broadcast that absolutely terrified me. The Jays as a team is the 321st yeah. team in shooting percentage from the free throw line? Yes, dude. <laughs> been bad all year. All year they've been bad. Whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 Grant Hill. First of all, shout-outs to you and that production staff for pulling out that stats. Number one, number two... That flew way under the radar for, I guess I'm a casual fan. I guess I'm not I know, a you're not like a <laughs> super fan. Yeah, that I thought that I was. I guess I'm a casual fan because- Yeah, you're already watching, man. About the right, I, what, what, do I stay up till 4 a.m. to watch games? Clearly <laughs> not. I didn't know that the boys were 321st in free throw shooting percentage. That's, oh, yeah. That's nothing to be proud of. Or, well, that's that's, that's horrific for a team with motto is- yeah. Let it fly. That's what I'm saying. Our motto is let it fly. We're known for this team that loves to push the ball, push the pace, get the shooters open, drive, kick out, get your feet set, let it fly. For a team to have great shooters, great, we, we have great, we have a wealth of shooters on this team. We haven't even talked about, obviously, the starting five gets so much uh, love, and deservedly so, 
Like they they literally carry uh, the brunt of the offensive load for the Jays. But O'Connell is a great shooter off the bench. Antoine Jones can knock down some shots. There, there are guys who can come off the bench and contribute. They now whether or not they've been able to is a totally different story. It's certainly something that we can get into. But when you look at the lineup of this Jays team, the makeup is that they can run and gun and make threes. That's always been their makeup. Even DJ, once he gets settled in and comfortable, he's the type of guy who can knock them, knock down four. Would you be surprised if he knocked down five threes in a game? Not me necessarily. I've seen the kid work it every offseason. I've seen him get gradually better year in, year, in, year out. And this year he was rewarded with a, a, a second-team All-Big East selection. So he's not a scrub. He's not someone that can't shoot. But when you think about that talented shooting team of Crane not being able to knock down free throws on a consistent basis, look, that is very scary. I'm going to end off this little part by saying when we were sophomores and we made it to the NCAA tournament, we talked about it when we beat Alabama in the first round, lost to UNC in Greensboro in the second round. The next year, Coach Matt came back and put on our practice shorts 2-2-2. We were the 222nd team in the nation in defensive efficiency rating that year coach Mack put two to two on our practice shorts my entire junior year just to send a message of look we were the worst team in the NCAA tournament defensively you know that qualified we need to get better at that end of the floor in order to maximize our potential hey look coach Mack you got to be a man of your word man you got to be you got to put 321 on those practice shorts next summer because the boys are 321st in free throw percentage, man. Look, you absolutely have to do that and send a message. Look, we were big boys. We accepted it. We got better defensively. I had to wear you them on the jerseys the whole that. year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you have to have a visual representation of that. Coach Mack, I absolutely love you to death, brother. You know I write for you no matter what. But you got to put 321 on those shorts. If you, you put 222 on the defensive rating for, for us, so... Uh, I, I know I know Coach Mack is a bulletin board material type of guy. I know that he's going to have something figured out. Um, and maybe it's not with that stat particularly, but it's going to be with something else that's going to help improve the team next year. But like I said, Grant Hill made me look like a casual fan when he pulled out that stat, and I was stunned. I was, I was halfway through my first run in Coke, and I almost dropped Spit it. Spit it out. You're like, what the heck? <laughs> what? <laughs> That is too funny. Yeah, the free throws are definitely like a point of stress for Creighton fans. I think I've been asked about those more this year than ever in seven years prior. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, like Christian, wow. Uh, first of all, like in the that reverse. Ooh. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. How about that reverse dunk? And what I was most impressed about was obviously it was a beautiful, you know, drive. Marcus created all that attention, a beautiful dish over the top of two outstretched hands. If you look back at that play, Christian needed to reverse that. And that doesn't get talked about enough. Or maybe it will, maybe it not. And maybe it will not. But the way that that a rotating defender was closing in on him, if he goes for your standard, you know, tomahawk dunk where he kind of puts it over top of his head, uh-huh. there's a big chance that he gets a swipe down from behind in that play. So if you guys ever have a chance to see that replay in slow motion or whatever the case may be, I truly believe we've seen Christian do this before. I mean, he's done that reverse dunk a couple of times this year, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Um, against Georgetown at home, yeah. But in that particular situation, being down one, I think, at the time, to put him up one, for him to pull out a reverse was out of necessity, mm-hmm. not out of just, you know, the sheer ability to do it. 
because like I said, if you look back at that replay, the defender was closing on him on the rotation. There's a big chance for a big swipe down if he goes in for that traditional, you know, tomahawk dunk just over, over top of his head. But he dips the ball just enough, gets it around the guy, and finishes from behind. That's that's super impressive. That's stuff that you don't normally see on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I can't even – other than him doing it, I don't know who else has pulled off reverse dunks, like, in traffic like that. <laughs> I, just, I don't know who does that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like, the fact that you did it in a clutch moment, too, is wild. But, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, 17 points, 11 boards, uh, like two or three blocks, like – 32 minutes. I mean, he looked, he looked like he left everything out there. And I think that's what you, I appreciate the most, honestly, like it's not, it's not the performance, which obviously deserves a ton of credit. They don't win without that. They don't even think they get, they get blown out without that actually. But it's like you, you, like you can tell everything he did out there today from a, from what he was contributing was maximum effort. Like he left nothing out. He left nothing in the tank today. So even if they had fallen short, if Amadou Sal's layup goes down and they fall, like he can't, there's nothing that dude hangs his head over. Like he has nothing left. Like right. he gave everything he had. And I think that's what I appreciate most about the performance was not only did it get the job done, not only did it result in a win that he can kind of, um, you know, be happy about at the end of the day and sleep well tonight, but like he gave everything he had to do it. So I think that's like, what's going to be most, what you're going to appreciate most about this, this March moment for Christian was the fact that he helped his team get over a hump against a really tough squad, get a win in the NCAA tournament and emptied the tank and played well. Like when you're years down the line and you're telling your family, your kids, your grandkids about that type of stuff, like anyone you were walking around Omaha and people are like, Oh, you're Christian Bishop, like free drinks for life. That's the type of stuff you get right there. That's the type of performance that leads to that. When they, when people know, when they see it's all out, all maximum effort, you left nothing in the tank, and you made big plays after big play, big after big play to get the job done. Like that's how you become essentially like a legend. So that I yeah. mean, he was unbelievable today. My uh, prep school coach, shout out coach Terry Upshaw. He told me my first year of prep school that after every game, you literally have to be physically, mentally, and emotionally drained. You can't tell me that Christian didn't walk back into that locker room. Yeah, we saw him, you know, add the Jays uh, name to the next part of the uh, of the bracket. But you couldn't tell me that he walked back into that locker room and he wasn't like, oh, man, you know. So, like, that's what it takes to help your team advance to the next round. And then now it's just a matter of time of trying to replenish all that energy and to do it over again. But guess what? If, if he – has one or two possessions where he doesn't get that type of maximum effort, like you just mentioned, do the Jays really advance? The Denzel Mahoney possessions that we talked about earlier when he really saved a couple of possessions for the Jays, do the Jays really advance? The rotation from Sharif Mitchell at the end, if he doesn't do that and provide just enough contact, where it's kind of a 50-50 call, could it have been a foul? Perhaps. Were the ref ref willing to blow that whistle during that time? Probably not, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. Kudos to them, too. But if they don't have that type of rotation and those type of defensive assignments drawn, do they advance? So it's, it's all those little things at this time of year. That's what it takes to really, like, advance. Christian Bishop, like you said, win or lose, he wasn't going to hang his uh, head down uh, after that performance. 
But I tell you what, he's, I can assure you, he's much happier going into that locker room with a win under his belt yeah. than a loss for sure. I, yeah. I, and I'm so glad you brought up the little <laughs> things too. Cause as a guy who made his whole career doing them, like you understand how valuable they are, right? How much they lead to, how much they contribute to wins and how much they can result in losses if you don't do them. And I think with this squad, if you remember the 2018-2019 team, they lost so many close games down the stretch, like where they had leads and couldn't hold it, and it came down to just like, you know, um, an inbounds pass here or a rebound there or a loose ball there, like uh, so many different ways, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, A Sam Hauser three that shouldn't count here, yeah. like one yeah. of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for real. Uh, this squad, but that summer, the summer of 2019, and and honestly, you were back there, so you know, because you come and work out in the off season. Um, like the coaches, the Mac, the staff, everybody was harping over and over again every single day and every skill workout, every team workout, everything. Like all those drills where they were finishing through contact, going off wrong foot, diving for loose balls, get doing the rebounding drills, um, with the plug in the hoop, like all that type of stuff. When all that was going on that summer, the summer of 2019, all they kept saying was, like, this is the difference between winning and losing. Like, this is why we went to the NIT last year and why we're not going back there again. Like, this is the difference in winning the Big East Championship, what they did that later that year. This is the difference in getting the NCAA tournament and winning a game like this this year. That's the difference in winning the Big East semifinal rock fight against a UConn team that had been rolling. Like, all that type of stuff, That that's that. this is that same group that as young players learned valuable lessons as freshmen and sophomores about how they can lose games with the little things. And then they took it to heart that summer. Like you mentioned the 222, right? Like the little things were the, were the, were the, were the point of emphasis in the summer of 2019. And that's what they took to heart. So it wasn't, uh, it might, it might not have been a symbol of a number, but it was like a memory etched in their brains. Like, Hey, you lost all these close games because of plays like these that you guys didn't, that you didn't make because of whatever reason. So learn to become instinctual in making them and you'll be on the right end of these close games down the stretch more than you'll be on the wrong end of it. And that's what happened today. That's the type of game, I, I like love. all the things you want to go right or wrong about what the game, you can play better here, you can play better there, the shot can go in, the shot can go, <laughs> whatever happens. The little things won today's game. I love that you brought up the coaching staff harping on that because like I – this is why every time I've gone into my podcast after a loss, the number one question is, oh, like what can the Jays do to rebound from this and, and do that? Look, guys, I could tell you this much. I have so much faith in Coach Mack and that coaching staff because not only have I experienced it, but like you said, I come back every summer. I train with those guys. I work out. Uh, even yeah, like every the days that I don't decide to actually jump in, I'm still on the sidelines just kind of paying attention. I see the different type of drills, the different type of like, you know, uh, moments where the coaches pay attention to those little details. I see it all the time. I saw that as a student athlete myself, and I saw it the last seven summers, obviously not this past summer because of COVID and all that stuff, but I've seen it, how these coaches really care about getting every little detail wrinkled, ironed out just perfectly. And sometimes that's what it takes to pull out a victory. We saw that tonight. Like that's what it took. It took those extra possessions. It took that, that, you know, 
you don't think of it as being a consequential box out, but like a rotation box out because you're trapping a McLaughlin and he's getting rid of the ball quickly. The ball swings around, they miss a three. You get a six foot guy on a seven or a six seven guy boxing him out, getting him out of the paint for a guy like Mitch to come in and clean up the rebounds. Mitch was incredible today. The amount of times that he was on a weak side rotation, did the verticality challenge and literally limited points inside. Like yeah. he, he deserves in a one point that. game. How many did six foot five Mitch Ballard take away at the rim? Right. It, yeah. He had a he had a weak side block where yeah. he literally just oh like Carmelo Anthony just oh just swiped the hell out of the ball from behind. And then collected the ball and gave the boys another possession that they needed. So all those things come from drill work. That's why after every loss, even the Georgetown one, like, let's be honest, as a Korean fan, casual or not, even as a college basketball fan, when you saw the Jays get pummeled, absolutely pummeled in that Big East uh, championship game and, and the Big East tournament, you left that game scratching your head like, is this really the team that we are? Is this really what the Jays are? But I promise you that during this last week, those guys drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. All those mistakes that they made against Georgetown. Today, tough game. Uh, it's a one-and-done kind of format. You know how these things go. They did what they had to do to advance. Now they have a chance to build on that, and I'm very much excited to see what they're going to do to actually build on that. For sure. Let's jump into questions because I think we got a, a bunch of them that um, are layered. So we'll have to <laughs> spend a lot of time <laughs> getting into them. Um, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Let's go. I think the, the so Northern Iowa is up 48-47 on the Flanatics with the fourth quarter just about to start. So this one's getting down to the stressful moments too. <laughs> um so our first question is from uh, Sam Norland. Um, let's see, he wants to know, how would you have felt uh, waking up this morning if you knew today's game was going to be decided at the free throw line? Well, Jahans clearly would have been fine with it because he did not know <laughs> that the Jays are I, I, I horrific at the free throw line this year. <laughs> so he would have felt fine. He'd be like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> like, listen, I don't – I would have been, like, I, I would have been I, less confident. I, I have a – I got a great education from Creighton University. <laughs> I can promise you one thing that they did not teach me and that I was very much ignorant of was their free throw woes throughout this entire year. So I may have been falsely confident because like I said earlier, my mindset is with a team that shoots that well from the three-point line, like you you should be able to shoot free throws pretty well, right? Right. It, it kind of, it takes me back to a conversation that I had with my uh, older brother, Willie Maniga. Shout out to you. He's a head coach at Brock University in, in yeah, yeah. Uh, St. Catharines, Ontario right now. Big shouts out to him. But I remember his collegiate career back in Canada. He had one year where I swear he shot like 47% from three, but shot like 67% from the free throw line. And that, I think that was my sophomore year because yeah, he was a senior at that point. And I kept being like, bro, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and he was like, he's like, I don't know. Like, I'm shooting it really well, but like, I don't know. Sometimes it, it actually is like that for whatever reason. I catch and shoot three, uh, especially in this day and age where guys like shoot the ball so much and, and they, they do their due diligence. They stay after practices. They wake up early. They go shoot. So a catch and shoot three feels more comfortable than really just going through your free throw routine and trying to knock that shot in. So I mean, I could certainly 
empathize and sympathize with that. But like you said, like, whew, I woke up this morning ignorant of that fact. I'm certainly not going to be ignorant of it moving forward. If it comes down to a free throw game against either Ohio, Ohio or Virginia, I'm going to be a lot more weary and I'm going to be clutching onto my Roman coat just a little bit more than I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me just give you – let me just – since we're blowing your mind with the free throw uh, revelation here today, I just want to give you a uh, a stat that's going to shock you to your core. So Mitch oh, Ballack, right? Mitch Ballack, right, is like nails from like the parking lot, oh. right? Okay, 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 okay. no, no, no. Lot. How about – okay, I, I think this is what you're going to do, but why don't you give me their three-point percentage and then ask me what I think their free throw percentage is. Can we okay. do it like that? Cool. Yep. Okay, okay cool. Because I, I didn't want you to reveal too much. You're like, this is going to show my ignorance from the start of yeah. the day. <laughs> Let's just reveal <laughs> it in that manner. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Mitch Ballack nails from like, the, like he's the, I mean, the best shooter in the country from 30 yeah. to 40 feet, right? Like and, the, and the range the is gym certain, range. Yeah. yeah. As soon yeah. as he walks into a gym, you have to defend him. Yeah, yeah. if he's if he's crossing half court and you don't have a body on him, you're doing the defense wrong. Um, right. Okay. So, what do you think he shoots from the free throw line this season, including today's game? Oh, oh shit. <laughs> See, no. How about how about, totally... how about how about this? How about this? Do you give me a number of what you think he should shoot based on his proficiency and what you think he probably shoots okay. given that so... given they struggle there. I would say at the very least, and I feel I'm being very disrespectful to Mitch when I say this, at the very least, he should be an 89% free throw shooter. At the very least. At the very least, with how well he shoots it. Now I'm going to say this number, and I feel I'm being even more disrespectful to Mitch. Bro, when I see you this summer, please don't slap me upside the head. I love you, baby, bro. Like, please don't slap me upside the head. But is he at like 78% right now? Would that would that shock you if you were? Would it shock you? Uh, yeah, it was. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely, it was. Mitch Ballack is a 55.6% free throw shooter this season. Like, worse than Shaq, bro. 55.6. <laughs> He's 10 for 18 at the line. I don't know. We can't even hear you. We can't hear you because you threw your headphones away. <laughs> <laughs> reaction 55.6 nope 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 55.6 all right let's keep it going okay <laughs> wow okay. that is okay no hold on before before you carry on uh okay. i mentioned that i had dj on the welcome to the j podcast earlier on this season and i i asked him a question along the lines of like you've improved so much year in year out and now this is your senior year and you're really showing out. I think he was averaging like 13, like seven and, and three uh, or whatever at that point in the season. And he just kind of told me like the stuff that he focused on. And one of the things that he like wanted to improve on was his free throw shooting. He said that him and Coach Huss kind of have a little bit of a side bet. And, uh, you know, Coach Huss challenged him to make the rest of his free throws moving on to, to the end of the year. So, like, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of weird that, like, this is all coming back full circle. That I'm remembering, like, vividly that conversation with, with DJ. And that now, like, that Grant Hill gave me that, again, that stat that I was so ignorant on. You're telling me that Mitch is a 57% free throw shooter? This no, year? I'm telling you he's a 56% free throw shooter. <laughs> Not even that high. 
<laughs> All right. Next, next one. Really, there's only next one. There's one, only please. one more that like would blow you away because you kind of would expect Christian and Ryan to struggle. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, what, I saw would you, what would you think? Today. What would you think Marcus should be at? Marcus is a 41 percent, a 42 percent three point shooter. What should Marcus be at free throw wise? Oh my god, I'm already over this game. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm disrespecting these guys, and I love these guys. I I I love. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, if for. they had if they had lost today, I probably wouldn't be playing this game. But since they won, we can make fun. Yeah, of them. I know, I know. But let me ask you a question, Matt. Because while we're on the subject, you've been around the Jays for quite some time now. You've you were around my yeah. teams and all that stuff too. In like on a on an individual basis, has there been a team that puts in more time? On their individual game than the current collection of guys that we have right now. Uh, together, no. Like these guys up and down the ro- up and down up and down the roster. There's a bunch of gym rats. Like that they yeah, have they have exactly. not had a team with this many gym rats on it. No, no. That's been, what I'm like, saying. Some special that, dudes, but not not this level. That's why it's so astonishing to me because like I remember my my group of guys. Like I could probably say like six guys were really putting in the effort of yep. extra shots staying after practice coming in early before practice waking yep. up early to get to the to old gym at that point in time and, and putting in that extra work i'm when i come back in the summertime this group of guys i'm literally seeing like 10 to 11 players early mm-hmm. i'm seeing walk-ons shout out jordan scurry I'm seeing walk-ons getting up early, getting shots up, staying yeah. in after practices, you know, like making sure that everything is right for if their number is ever called so that they're ready for the moment. This is why these numbers are so striking to me mm-hmm. because especially for this group of guys, like if, if you are, if you have a little bit of insight about who they are, uh, their personalities, how much they love the game and how much they want to improve at it, Mitch Ballack, I'm, I'm still going to say 57. Mitch Ballack is a 57% free throw shoot. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't compute with me. No. Nope. You know? I know. Okay, so you had DJ on. <clears throat> I think he said he didn't. He wasn't going to miss another free throw all season when you had yeah. him on. Okay. He, he did say that on my part. Yeah. DJ, I love you, bro, but you did say that. <laughs> you yeah, did he, say he, that. Uh, he, felt, he fell a little short of that goal. Um, uh-huh. So DJ is 52% from the field overall. 36% from three on 86 attempts, so not a small sample size. What do you right. think he shoots this year from the free throw line? 52-86 or 52-36, what's the, what's the third number? 53. Oh, you went way low on him. I, I Mitch is a 57. What do you want me to say about DJ? <laughs> yeah, DJ is 59. <laughs> oh, 50, yeah, 59% on 79 attempts. That's crazy to me. I know. So yeah, that's where they're free oh. to for as a team, as a team. Okay, let's do the team, just a team wide thing. We won't sell out, we won't, mm-hmm. we won't call out dudes. Okay. Let's fine. do the team. So as a team, they shoot 47%, 48% from the field overall, which mm-hmm. is like lights out, right? That's as good as you can get. Right. That's for if we're being realistic. 36% from three. Okay. What do they shoot from the free throw line as a team? I mean, Jesus Christ, they're the 321st shooting team in the nation. 457 attempts. What do they, what do they shoot? I would, God, I guess I got to say like 55%, 54%. No, there's, there's, there's 64%. Yeah, 64%. 
as okay, a group. Wow. Isn't that isn't that what thirty six percent from three, forty eight percent overall, and they shoot sixty four percent from the line. So is Marcus just shooting an, a a crazy number right now? Uh, Marcus say, like, is at Marcus is at seventy seven. He's at seventy seven percent. Denzel's at seventy four. No one else okay. is even like. I mean, Sharif's at seventy six on low attempts. So yeah, he's it's nothing. Even. I know I know Deja gets to the line a ton, but whether or not he makes it, like that, that's another story. I know Mitch doesn't get to the line a ton. Right. Uh, because you know, they ask him to stretch the ball. He doesn't have too many dribble drive responsibilities. But I know that Marcus and Denzel get to the line a ridiculous amount. So that's what I'm trying to say. Like, if you tell me that DJ is what did you say? I don't remember 50. Yeah, so DJ is 60% if you round up. Christian's fifty-seven yeah, percent. Both of those those two guys have the most attempts on the team. They get the three twenty-one the most. And, and then you tell me that you tell me that the team overall is in the sixties. Like that that's where like that doesn't compute for me because mm-hmm. you would expect uh, guys like Mitch to. But I guess if you don't get there often enough, it, it's not a you don't have a really good feel for that shot particularly. So hey, guys, look, guys, I'm not calling anybody out. Like I, <laughs> I love okay. all you guys individually. <laughs> like I need it's I need a record to be shown. No, it's just like that. That really, it really baffles me. When Grant Hill said that, honestly, I was like shocked. I was honestly yeah. shocked. And then he said it right before Christian shot those two free throws, and he looked like an absolute professional as he stepped up to the line and knocked those down too. So, look, this is the time of year where you throw out all these numbers. If Christian wants to go transition three pull up and he makes it, I'm mm-hmm. not even questioning that shot. I just went up the season. Let's get it. You yeah. know, let's get it. Live your best. Live your best life, young man. Yeah, no, they're good. They, 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 they know you mean well. It's all good. All right, um, another question. I'm, I'm loving these fan questions right now. Yeah, for sure. We went a yeah. long way around on that one. It would have been shocking. All Jans would have been confident going in. Um, <laughs> next question. Next question. Uh, really curious what the adjustment is for how UCSB guarded high ball screens and helped off from the corner. Is it as simple as fixing? As simple a fix? Excuse me as putting the shooter in that strong side corner or keep trusting DJ to knock those shots down. Well, I mean, yeah, like we just, like we just said, DJ is 36% from three. So that's a pretty good person to stick in the corner there. Um, You know, you want Mitch there too. Um, Yeah. So you want on that, on the strong side ball screen stuff, you want your shooters to kind of be within, you know, an extra pass away. Right. You don't want to have to, yeah. set that with the shooters on the opposite side of the corner because that's a harder pass to make, right? Even though Marcus has shown that he can do it. Um, yeah, the, the 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 counter to it is just to have the shooters on the ball side for sure. Like, I don't really know what – I mean, they, they, so they, just, I, they just kind of hit the shots. Like, that's that's, that's what you live with. But you want, you want those yeah. shots out of that action. So this was a re- reoccurring question tonight. I actually uh, answered parts of that question on the locker room session that I did uh, earlier tonight. Uh, again, if you guys want to check that out, it's going to be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts a little bit later uh, tonight. After I finish with you, I'm going to upload it for you know the the fans who didn't get to go on live and listen to actually have a chance to listen to it. Um, Crane has two pet plays, especially after timeout. And again, I hope I'm not divulging too much information. Like I said, I hope Ohio or Virginia is not listening to this and they're not just going to like pick apart at, the, at that point of the season. And if you're really scouting, you should know these things. But basically, Coach Mack has two pet plays out of timeouts where he gets really good looks, either for Christian at the rim or for any shooter coming off of that. One of them is our patented uh, dribble handoff 
where you have a shooter on the strong side that's rotating up. It's usually Mitch in that situation, but he's he's uh, Coach Mack has experienced or, or experimented, I should say, with a couple of different guys coming up, uh, which has given Christian that lob option, Marcus that push float or a traditional one to two dribble pull up option, or he whips it behind his head and whichever shooter is coming up has a wide open look because they're worried about the lob threat or Marcus shooting that mid range. So if you've paid enough attention to the Jays game uh, against this year, you've noticed that play. Coach Mack does a tremendous job of disguising it, but it always ends up being the same. It might not start off as the same, but it ends up being the same. Uh, and they normally get really great looks off of that play. I think that question is a little bit of an overreaction tonight because DJ wasn't making his shots. We've seen games where he knocks on that shot, either being on the strong side or on the weak side, and no one even bats an eye. They're like, oh, yeah. I mean, he had a pretty open look. He knocked mm-hmm. it down. Tonight, that shot doesn't fall down. And then, you know, the, the panic meter says, and I understand there's so many, so much more high stakes in this particular game than, let's just say, a regular season game versus Marquette. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, these guys are getting great looks. And I said it earlier in the podcast. They work at their craft a lot. This group is filled with absolute gym rats who get in, they put in, they're put in their work, they log in their hours, and they step out of the gym feeling more confident than, than when they stepped in. So guys like DJ, guys like Denzel, shots aren't necessarily falling tonight. Mitch, Mitch is such an outlier. Like he's such a great shooter that like even if he goes one of seven, I think every Korean fan is like, Mitch, shoot the ball more. One of seven, go one for 12. Like, we'd be happy to see you go one for 12. Just shoot, keep shooting the ball because he's such a, he's an Ethan Roggy, Kyle Corver type of individual. He's, yep. what is he, top three overall in, yeah. in uh, creating history? And yeah, those, and those are the only shooting. two guys so, with more, yeah. But the guys who are rhythm shooters like Denzel and DJ and O'Connell when he comes off the bench and Antoine if he has a chance to come off the bench in, in this next game, those guys who are looking for rhythm guys, look, you, we can't really harp on the one, two, three misses that they have. It, rhythm guys need to see the ball in their hands pretty often. They need to shoot the ball pretty often. Uh, Denzel is the type of guy who could start off over four and then make his next five threes. Like mm-hmm. he, that's just the type of player that he is. So I don't think they need to do too much as far as reconstructing where they place guys. I think the coaching staff just needs to have enough trust in those guys and enough trust in the work that they put in that no matter where they place them on the court, they understand that it's going to be a good shot. And, you know, Coach Mack has said something like, uh, uh, like so often with me being in his presence, his job is to place us in that situation. Whether or not it counts as a good shot is because of the work that we've put in. So for a person like myself, who I think I shot like 41 or 42% from three in my, in my career, Mm -hmm. being in that situation, because I put in the extra time makes that a good shot. But let's just say I was a a, a 29 to 32% three point shooter. Now you can start looking at that as being a bad shot because, you know, I clearly didn't put in the work or I don't have that ability to knock down those shots. So those guys are, are good shooters. They put in the work. They, they've done their due diligence to uh, be put in that spot. And obviously, Coach Mack and the coaching staff trust them because they continuously put them in that spot. It's up to those guys to just step in, get their groove right, and knock those shots down. 100%. If there's anything the coaching staff does to adjust that, it's just like 
have a conversation and let them know that you just believe in them to, to knock those shots down like that. Cause that's the spots that they want to be in. Uh-huh. That's the shots they practice. Um, you're not, you're not, you're not adjusting how that looks except for if you have to build some confidence in terms of the guys taking the shots, like, Hey, that's your spot. Knock it down. Uh, Scott Miller. Um, he wants to know how come we don't run more offense with Mahoney in the post or get in the ball in the lane. Also, have we abandoned playing Mahoney at the five for short periods of time? Well, the, yeah, the second question is definitely because Kalkbrenner and Bishop, yeah. they they split those minutes. So yeah, you, you don't yeah. want to you don't want to be in a game without Christian or Ryan on the floor. So um, yeah, that that lineup's gone. Uh, so the first question is, I guess, why doesn't Creighton run more uh, isolation post-ups for Mahoney? Um, I mean, they ran one to start the second half for him, and he got a bucket. They ran one late in the second half that he just rimmed out a little layup there. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't know the frequency of it, but obviously uh, there's, there's very little structure to what Creighton does in general, right? Like, so a lot of that's just in flow, right? So you have to almost yeah. – you're getting post-ups. You're doing them intentionally. And Creighton doesn't intentionally run a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? To some degree. Um, I want to address that second part of that question since we're, we're already on it about, you know, why doesn't Denzel play some five or, like, if they have some mm. small ball lineups where, he, like, he would be, I guess, the, the, the five in that situation with him and DJ probably being five and four, Mitchell yeah. at the uh, three. And then I would assume he's, he's asking for Zagorowski at the two and uh, Sharif at the one that's a little bit of a nostalgic idea because Crane actually did quite a bit of that last year yeah. with Denzel coming off the bench as a six man of the year in the Big East. So I, I kind of see, you know, where that question is coming from. I, I, sorry, I forgot the name of the person who asked, but uh, I, yeah, I can Scott. definitely understand Scott Miller. I can understand his vision uh, when he's asking about that because it's not something that is unusual. So it's like as a Crane fan, if you hear that proposition, you shouldn't be like, Oh, like that's that's a little bit out of the ordinary because Coach Mac has experience with something like that where they do an all switching lineup. It's kind of like their version of the Hampton Five where they can switch everything, challenge shots, and then rely on their box out ability and scrappiness to get defensive rebounds. So it's not out of the ordinary, but in a year like this year where you've played so many minutes with two traditional bigs, I think to throw in that idea at this point of the season. Uh, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it if I was a head coach of a program for me personally, like maybe coach Mac has bigger cojones than I do. And he would be willing to experiment with something like that. But like, because they play such a traditional, uh, I, I mentioned earlier about the different ways that Cogbrenner and, and uh, CB uh, defend, but that has been their MO all year. I think you kind of stick to what you know uh, and you bet on what you know at this point of the season. Now, with that earlier part of the question about why do they not run more stuff through Denzel at the post, I think Denzel actually does a really good job of mixing um, his not only shot selection, but where he catches the ball and what he wants to do with it uh, from that standpoint on. Uh, Many times when he kind of has a groove going, he catches on the wing. And in my personal opinion, he settles for maybe like a a one-two dribble pull-up or a three when I think he could literally bulldoze his way down and, and get to the hoop. But look, I'm, I'm not him. Uh, uh, I'm sure at that point in time, he believed that he's making the best decision for himself and for the team. So I'm not going to knock him on that. 
but I do really like it when he makes a, 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 an effort to really get down on the block, like demand position, ask for the ball, and then see what he can get from there. Because like I said, he he's such a big, strong individual. No threes in the nation can really match up to him as far as like his sheer power and strength once he starts backing guys down. There was a possession today, I believe McLaughlin got the switch on him. He caught the ball at the three-point line and just slowly started to back his way down to the paint. And McLaughlin was trying his hardest to actually like put a knee on his back and stop him. But like he just slowly, methodically backed his way into the paint and was able to get a good shot for the Jays. So I'm not saying that the Jays should try and do more of that, especially in a situation where like you haven't maybe ran those type of sets too often throughout the year. At this point in the season, you really have to go with what you know. And what the Jays know is to be a tough defensive-minded team, which, you know, who would have saw that coming? They've won so many games scoring under 70 points. Like, I don't think you could really ask for too much more. Um, they've been a run-and-gun team. They've relied on the two-point shooting, and they rely on the Marcus Zagorowski, Christian Bishop, uh, pick-and-roll uh chemistry for a lot of their points uh whether it be actually one of those two guys finishing or to kick out to the shooters in the corners or on the wings to knock down shots so i would honestly say jays need to stick to what they know and they just need to execute a little bit better than what they did today yeah but you're 100 right about the freedom that they get to read the game and make a play is basically baked into everything they do offensively essentially so it's yeah. not like Creighton needs to run a post-up situation, an isolation post-up, to get Denzel a back down, you know, back to the basket with an entry pass coming into him. Like, he has the ability to catch the ball on the perimeter, read who's defending him, and decide how to attack that. That's just what, right. the, that's what the offense – that's what the offense allows every player on the floor to do. So, it doesn't necessarily need to be – need to be a uh, structured post-up. So, yeah, like – Totally agree on them having the freedom to do so. Um, let's see. Our next question is, <clears throat> I don't know how to say his last name, so I'm not going to try. Sorry. This is from Joe S. Uh, <laughs> I love it. No, like, I, I love it. I love it. Keep it going. <laughs> love to hear your thoughts on Reef versus uh, Denzel minutes. Felt like if Mac waited any longer to make that substitution to get Reef in there, when it was 58-52, CU loses. His ability to disrupt offenses, offenses along with his quickness and ability to keep the ball moving on O can change games. Um, Reef versus Denzelman. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the there was also a late substitution with Reef and, and Mitch for offense-defense. So, yeah, you definitely want Reef on the floor to affect the game defensively. Um and then I think, you know, one of the things that Mitch should get credit for is being a, a senior with as much experience as he has, being, like, um, comfortable in his own skin enough to say it's okay to take me out at the end of the game if you need to get a stop, like, because Reef's better defender than I am. Like, that take, not a lot of guys have – are selfless enough to accept that. You know what I mean? They're like, what the hell are you taking me off the floor for, basically? So – the fact that he gives Mac the confidence to do that, I think is, you know, speaks to the type of teammate he is. Um, I guess, I, I guess I didn't see that Denzel was the one 
coming off the floor a lot in those situations. So that's my bad. If I have to go back and rewatch the substitution pattern a little bit, I thought Mitch and I thought Sharif and Mitch were the ones being swapped out there. Um, Cause I think you want Denzel and Reef both on the floor at the same time, if you're trying to get stops and keep your, cause, cause Denzel can move to the three and Reef can play that one while Marcus moves to the two. So like they're interchangeable too. So yeah, I guess I don't have a good read on how to answer that one. Do you have a better version than what I just tried? Um, I mean, I I really don't. All that I can say is that it worked. Yeah, like I guess I guess it I guess it worked. Right. <laughs> I guess it worked. They came out with a, they came out with a victory, so I guess it worked. Uh, it's it's a tough one because we know uh, Sharif Mitchell's defensive prowess. Like that, we don't like. It's defense, especially in this day and age, obviously, like in the pros and the NBA, I know playing overseas here and obviously it's kind of crept into college ball, too. But it's been so undervalued in the last handful of years that when you see a guy like Sharif, whose offense hasn't become, you know, what what we wanted. (laughs) Hold up. Hold up. I got to stop you because, oh, my God, this team is outrageous. Like Tatum Rembaugh just drove to the hole and scored to give Creighton the lead with 66.9 seconds left. So. Oh my God, that kid is clutch as hell. Sorry, man. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, that's the, no, that's no, the winner in the NIT right now. All these games are coming out of the wire. It's just wild, man. I can't interrupt me if you have to to give the women all the flowers that they deserve. Yeah, so what's sorry. going on over there? Uh, yeah. So well, it looks like nine. I don't know. The clock's all weird. So now it says nine point four seconds left in the fourth quarter, and the Jays are up sixty three, sixty two. So same score as the men. Funny enough, but Jesus. Imagine yeah. So that. Northern Iowa's coming out with the ball here. Um, inbounding because you can advance the ball in the women's game, so they're inbounding out of their own side of the court with nine. Okay, can, are we ever going to talk about like the difference between the men's and the women's game? Because I like, guess it's actually crazy that like the guys have to play two 20 minute halves, the women get to play four 10 minute quarters, mm-hmm. which is much more like the pro style of game. If we're, if we're really <laughs> trying to help these student athletes get to the next level and play that pro style of game, wouldn't we want the men's to play? for 10 minute quarters too like it's when are we going to figure that part out preaching to the choir and, here uh, man I'd, I'd be remiss like i saw some of the you know the the weight room the meal discrepancies between yeah. the men's yeah uh tournament uh members and or participants i should say and the women's tournament participants the ncaa man you gotta do better that's absolutely disgusting you absolutely have to do better uh, I, I see your eyes kind of moving quickly. I want to know what's going on. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah, Northern Iowa <laughs> no, you're, scored, you're and I think they got fouled. So they're going to the line here with 4.9 left. I think Creighton has a timeout left, oh, so they're no. probably going to advance it. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're going to the free throw line here with 4.9, so it's 64-63 uh, right now. Yeah, that, that discrepancy is absolutely disgusting in my eyes. <sighs> it's just <sighs> doesn't surprise me, though. Look, like, uh, I it's it's crazy because like I remember like shout out Carly Tris her and I used to have when we were student athletes we have to have we used to have conversations about this where she would kind of tell me about like the differences and how everything is treated oh yeah they didn't have a timeout left so they had to just heave one uh yeah Creighton lost by one damn it that's tough that's okay dude they had so many injuries this year it's unbelievable the fact that they got this far is crazy yeah. yeah, that sucks, um, but okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah what, you were talking with no, Carly? I was talking about, like, me, when me and Carly Church were student athletes uh, at the time, obviously, we came in together, we graduated together, 
So we used to have numerous conversations about the discrepancies and differences between like how women's sports and, and men's sports are treated. And I'm not going to lie, I was ignorant to all of that back then. And I always chalked it up to like, oh, well, I guess the guys are bringing in more money and all that stuff. Like I, like I, that was my mindset back then as the years have gone on and I'm just kind of truly seeing like the landscape of things and, and how like the, the major differences, just the glaring differences between how the men's sports are treated and how the women's sports are treated. Uh, I, I'm, th- this is what growth is all about, right? Because like as a grown man now, I can kind of see yeah. like what my mindset was back then and how messed up it was to like thinking about look this needs to be rectified like this needs to be a common thing where like it looks like a luxurious gym when you look at the NCAA men's basketball tournaments like their weight room and all that stuff and, and all the yeah. stuff that they have access to like and you look at, like, on the women's side like it's 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 ridiculous like it, it's absolutely ridiculous so NCAA you have to do better if you're really trying to promote the women's game and trying to have it on equal footing as the men's you have to treat every athlete like they're equal and uh, it, goes, it goes have, all the way it goes all know. the way down the line man i mean like i'm watching this nit game for the women's tournament mm-hmm. it's on flow hoops like you have to pay 30 bucks to watch that or you have to have know somebody who has no password Jesus. meanwhile espn has all this airtime right now that they're not using because they're not getting to broadcast any uh men's NCAA tournament games they could put all these women's yeah. games on espn if they wanted to they just don't I hope I hope that this is rectified uh, in my lifetime. Like, uh, yeah, right. Look, I, I was also of the mindset when I was a <clears> youngster <throat> that I was never going to see a black president in my lifetime, and that already happened. So, X, anything yeah. is possible. You guys need to rectify the situation and figure it out because, like, I love it's just it, it, it's ridiculous. So, I love the way that they're that the women's players showed up to San Antonio and basically said what the fuck and like right put, put the right. way to put the way on blast on social media like got that thing mm-hmm. like said this is ridiculous spoke that thing out like got it called out that's what that's what the players are realizing now that they have the power to change the world for themselves you know and for the future players behind them they just yeah. gotta speak up about it because everybody will follow as they like, should yeah as they should yeah no, and you don't want to mess uh, with I, I forgot i forgot <laughs> what the last question is and it kind of seems a little bit <laughs> i know like it doesn't Sorry. matter after we brought up that point. No, you're good. You're good. I just, I yeah, you. it was Reef versus Denzel minutes. I, I honestly have to go back and rewatch it because I don't remember that swap being yeah. as pivotal. Okay, uh, let, let's talk about it. Okay, so I, what I was saying is, I, I kind of remember now. What I was saying is uh, that in the last handful of years, uh, how good of a defensive player an individual is has been super undervalued. Mm-hmm. And we, we, what we always look at is their offensive prowess. And that's kind of unfortunate for guys who have made their names on the defensive end. Yeah, it's just hard to – because the there's, there's not really a statistical, like, thing you can attach to great defense exactly. other than, like, blocks and steals. Like, so it's hard, yeah. And for whatever you for whatever reason, human nature loves statistics. Like, we yeah. are drawn <laughs> to that. Like, we talked about earlier about, like, the free throw percentage and, like, the – even like defensive efficiency efficiency rating, like that's something that we can quantify. So I guess we kind of like uh, fall in love with those type of stats. But what Reef does on the defensive end is insurmountable for that Jays team because he can literally change a game with his defensive prowess. What I've always been uh, so you know amazed by and impressed with with him. 
he's got a different set of quick twitch muscles that allows him to it, 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 so in my eyes it looks like a gamble but i know that he knows what he's doing you know what yeah. i mean like yeah. if, if i was in his position the way that he kind of jumps around and he kind of baits guys into thinking they can go in a position then he cuts them off immediately i know in my eyes that looks yeah. like a gamble but he's got such like a different set of quick twitch muscles that allows him to do that uh that i'm very impressed by that and like with me saying that i wanted to pose you a question because you are the crane basketball connoisseur <laughs> i'm gonna put you on the spot because i'm gonna involve myself in this question too. oh shit here we go okay <laughs> I like no hard feelings, bro. Like I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, I mean, I think we're, I think I know like... where you're going, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. That's okay. I, you know me, me, I have nuance too, so I'm not gonna say it like you think. Out of out of the last decade of basketball, as far as like games on the line down the stretch, you need to stop. There's a dominant uh, offensive player, a guard or a wing player. Who would you want guarding them? I'm gonna give you the four guys. <laughs> That's a lot harder. That's a harder question. I thought you were gonna ask me. Damn it! All right, I'm putting myself. Okay. I'm putting Kyrie. Okay. I'm putting Tyshawn, or I'm putting Sharif. Those are the four names that you get to choose from. You need to get a stop from a wing or guard defender. In the last decade of Jays basketball, who are you putting on the ball that you're like, look, if I put this guy on the ball. Whatever the outcome is, I can live with it. Damn. It. Look, are you, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you my rating since I'm, I'm. Well, I'm so okay with myself. I'm number four. Okay, <laughs> so, I'm number four. I got, I got Tyshawn at three. I got Sharif at two, and I got Kyrie at number one. Yeah, I would have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, since you already outed yourself, then I don't have to feel too bad. Yeah. Um, no, don't feel bad, bro. I, I'm very comfortable in my skin. <laughs> well, the only thing I would have said was, like, I've seen, like, I, I was going to judge it based on the type of guys they've locked up in those situations. Like, and the reason I'm going to go with my number one, I'm not even going to rank the rest of them just because obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> that's my cop out. Uh, Ty, yeah. Ty, I actually have number one because – Oh, last season he was guarding like Miles Powell, Marcus Howard. Those were like all American first. They, first of all, they were all first team all Americans. Uh, Miles yeah. Powell won Biggie's Player of the Year, although we dispute that to this day. Uh, like those are so those are all American level wings, and he not <laughs> like he didn't just like stop them. He shut that water off, like gave him the eviction notice, like everything. Like they did, they got yeah. nothing on him. I can pull, I'll, I'll text you their numbers later just to re, re, reinforce it. But like <laughs> yeah. what he did to those guys, I mean, it was systematic. Like it, they had nothing on him. So I've never seen an individual defender uh, shut off guys like to that level. Like with Kyrie, he could create more havoc with his defense. Like Tyshawn doesn't do that as much because he's more, mm-hmm. he's quicker, longer, and he uses his quickness and length to force guys to take low percentage shots like but he but Kyrie was so good with his hands and his anticipation he was better at creating that defense into offense for Creighton and he was also quick enough to guard like ones and twos and physical enough to guard threes and fours so he had versatility yeah. um 
But if I need to stop, if I need, if, I'm, if you're telling me they're going to ISO somebody and uh, you need one guy to shut their water off and make sure that person takes a low percentage shot, I'm going Tyshawn every time. Cause he did it more often than any of those other, any of those other four in terms of making those guys take low percentage shots. Like, and then he was really, you know what else he was really good at, which is another, it's a, it's a stat that doesn't, isn't a stat. It's something that doesn't even register as a shot because it's not a shot. He is so good at like going to a second move that when guys like get him up in the air and they think they've got space to let it go on him, he'll get him up in the air yeah. and they'll think they're away from him. And then he's still right there. He like recovers super quick and uses his mm-hmm. long arms to get like back into their shooting window that they will like be in midair and they'll have to like late kick it over to the, to their, to their like other guard on the wing. So that doesn't count as a stop on defense. Like it, it doesn't count to their defensive efficiency, Right. but there were so many times where miles Powell, Marcus Howard, like Nate, Kamar Baldwin, all these guys where he had them up in the air with nothing to do. And they're like, Oh shit, I can't shoot this. He's right here. So I think like <laughs> yeah. he was so good at that and he'll never get the credit he deserves for it because he, it only shows up on film. Um, it doesn't register right. in the box score at all. So that like, yeah, if I'm looking for one dude to shut somebody's water off on the last play of the game, I think Tyshawn has proven it against a higher level of competition than, than the other four. No disrespect. So uh, no uh, disrespect. No. <laughs> none, none taken. I, I think no, every guy on that list, you, we can all hang our hats on, on the, what oh, we yeah. did defensively. And like that being our calling card, I'll give you the reasons why I have like that list, particularly, like I said, I would have Kyrie first. I'd have Sharif second. I'd have Tyshawn third. I have myself last. Uh, the reason I have Kyrie, because I always see him as like, we're going to use a football analogy here. He's fucking like Rivas Vasquez, like, or am I what? Uh, Rivas, like the Rivas Vasquez from the Jets. Oh, yeah, Darrell Rivas, Darrell Rivas, Darrell Rivas. Darrell, Darrell Rivas. Yeah. Wow, why did my basketball kind of <laughs> I don't know. Like, it got mixed up there. <laughs> why was I thinking about the Colombian girl that went to Maryland and played for the Raptors <laughs> for a couple of years? Sorry, it's all basketball talk. So that's Rivas Vasquez? What? No. Darrell Rivas. Yeah. Darrell Rivas. A Kyrie is a guy like he literally shuts off an entire half of the offense because the other team uh-huh. is so scared to swing the ball in his direction. And that's because of his defensive prowess. Right. You talked about Tyshawn having long arms and being a flake enough to like disrupt shots. Maybe like even like if he gets caught up <clears> on a shot fake where he jumps in the air, he's quick and long enough to recover to still make the offensive player second guess. Kyrie could do that in his sleep. That that's yeah. just my personal opinion gotcha. of watching him you know, play with the Jays. Like, I just always thought that, like, to a T, like, man-to-man, especially with his long arms, like, always digging at the ball, always putting pressure on the offensive player. Uh, like, I, early on in his career when I saw Kyrie play, I used to always say to myself, oh, he's kind of like a, a younger me. Like, that's what I used to do. By his sophomore year, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, sophomore year. <laughs> <laughs> He's way better than anything that I ever did, you know? <laughs> so, like, so that's the reason why I have such, such like, admiration and, and respect for Kyrie defensively, mm-hmm. especially Sharif. I just <clears throat> talked about it earlier, why he's my number two. His instincts and his quick twitch makes it so that even when it looks like he's making a mistake, he's like the flash. He's just going to yeah. be right there in front of that offensive player, and he's going to cut him off, and he's going to make him turn one more time, maybe unexpectedly, and be able to first force either turnovers or whatever it gets me. Now he's not nearly as strong or as you know long as 
Kyrie and Tyshawn. Right. But his just instincts are through the roof. And Tyshawn, that's no knock. Obviously, like I I love Tyshawn as a defensive player too. I like everything that you said, I agree with them. But it's just in my opinion, like where I hold Kyrie to and where I see Sharif at right now. God, like Tyshawn did an unbelievable job. The difference between Tyshawn and Kyrie, in my opinion, is that from tip-off, Kyrie accepted that matchup. I thought sometimes, especially throughout his career, I thought Tyshawn accepted that matchup as games went on. Coach Mack would be like, look, listen, like Marcus Howard, he's kind of going crazy right now. And then Tyshawn would be like, I I, I got this. You know, and like you said, that's when he would shut their water off. It definitely Kyrie took, never it definitely allowed took, the yeah. water to get going. Right. hundred <clears throat> yeah. percent. Yeah. That's totally fair. No, myself, honestly, the other, other part of that point was that teams went away, went you like ran their actions away from Kyrie's side of the floor. Yeah. Tyshawn never yeah. got that respect. They ran at him mm-hmm. constantly because they were like, he was in his third year. They, they kind of figured they knew who he was as a defender. And even if he was guarding their best guy, they still ran that offense through the best guy. So yeah, I think, from a respect level aspect, like no one, yeah. no one tried to test Kyrie. It was like Revis Island type of deal for sure. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why I compare Kyrie to Darrell Revis, and I compare uh, Tyshawn and Sharif to a little bit of a Richard Sherman, right? Like he's not gonna cover an entire side of an offense. Like they can mask him in like zone situations if we're talking about football, yeah. and he still can be a very effective cornerback. But he's not going to man up, like lock up a guy the way that, uh, you know, Kyrie would. And then for myself at number four, let's be honest, I gambled a whole lot. I got lucky with a whole lot of stuff. Uh, Coach Mack, this is why I love Coach Mack too. He used to always say to me, Jay, like, I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you have to stand on your head. Just do it. So he gave me a lot of freedom to kind of do it my way. It wasn't the traditional way. Uh, but I was able to bother people just enough. Um, and then also the reason I put myself at fourth is just I didn't have the biggest experience that those guys have. Like I, yeah, I didn't one year. play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't play the level of talent that those guys did consistently. So I can only I can't, you know, like put myself in those guys' position. Like they they had to do it against extremely talented, like really good offensive players. I had the Colt Ryans of the, you know, of the Valley, the Ben Simmons. That it was a, that it was a bucket and a half, yeah. though. He was. He yeah. absolutely was. But, like, it, it, I mean, he was no uh, – why am I blanking on the kid from Cena Hall from last year? Miles Powell. Yeah. He was no He was no that, you know. For so, sure. like, that, that's that's why I put myself at fourth, too. Like, I'm very comfortable in my skin. I know what I did. So, like, I'm, I'm cool on that. <laughs> hey, honestly, if you're ever in that conversation and you have to stand up for yourself, you'll always have that first yeah. half senior day against Bryce Cotton. So, right with that. <laughs> See, so I, I'm don't talk about this. We don't talk about half. the second half. No one bring up the second half, okay? That's not on the table here. I said first half, Bryce Cotton. Yeah. We won't talk about the second what, half. Like, but the what, second what half, in have. the second half, Jahens <laughs> was watching Doug. He was distracted, okay? Doug was chasing history. Jahens wasn't locked. Yeah, yeah. The, pic- was... the picture is right up here when he scored it. Uh, where where do I it? see it? Um, it? It's somewhere up here. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, I know wall, is, that wall is legit. Yeah, I love this wall. Every time I do a podcast, I look at it. But my <laughs> calling card is the Alan Crabb Jr. year. That's my oh, yeah. calling card. Yeah, that's the, yeah, legend. That's that's the one where I was like, card. oh, Jay's a stopper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get on to this. Let's see. Uh John Conti wants to know why does Mahoney take so many shots? Because he can hit them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because he he's garnered enough trust in the coaching staff that they put him <laughs> in those situations and because they know he can hit a good spot. I love that that question is still <laughs> flying in this time here. Um, let's see. Uh, Thomas Felbin wants to know, did Marcus take no shots during the UCSB comeback? Um, I don't know. Uh, During they, the UCSB they, they, comeback, yeah, pro- probably, but he did get that nice pull up Jay at to put him up yeah. one in the last minute or so, so or minute and a half left, uh, I think, when he hit it. Yeah, yeah they, they so. did a really good job of just forcing the ball out of his hands. They kind yeah. of did to him what Jays were doing to McLaughlin all night, especially down the stretch. So, like, I mean, when you're that good of a player and you play at such a high level, you understand and you see what the defense is giving to you. And if you could allow yourself to not force offense and just simply allow what the defense is giving to you uh, to take place. You can find great looks, not only for yourself, but for your teammates. He had a wonderful dish. Like we talked about earlier to Christian with that reverse dunk. He really like drew a lot of attention. Uh, and if guys were making shots, they were making shots. If they were making shots, they were missing shots, they were missing shots, but he did a really good job of controlling the pace, even though he wasn't necessarily involved in every action. Yeah, there was a stretch where he didn't shoot the ball enough and perhaps he wanted to be a little bit more aggressive. But I trust Marcus Zagorowski's judgment. Like, he's a high assist, low turnover type of guy. What more do you want as a lead guard? He's Marcus himself with his offensive prowess is the reason why I have such faith in this team to move on to a Sweet 16 finally. Because, like, if you look at the great Creighton teams that had a chance to move on, what we were missing is that type of player as a lead guard because that's what you need in this type of environment. I love my teams with Doug McDermott as as the lead dog. And I'm not saying that Austin Chapman couldn't do what Marcus does, but Austin Chapman wasn't asked to do what Marcus does. And I think that's a major difference. I I have all the faith in the world that if if Austin, as you say, was on this year's team and he was asked to do some of those things, I I have faith that Austin could certainly do those things. But that wasn't his role for those teams. And we ran our offense through Doug and through Ethan and through stretching the floor and all that stuff. The reason I have such uh, faith into this year's team is because I understand who Marcus Zagorowski is. I understand the importance of having a lead dog as a point guard, as a wing scorer, who can get his shot of the career for everybody else, especially when the game comes down the stretch and you don't necessarily have to run things for him. He can break it off and, and get it for himself. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I want to just ask you about off the top, I don't think we got this question, but because uh, you mentioned that Marcus can play off the ball too. What did you think of Matt going with Mitch at the point guard finally? Like first time in his four years. Like, I don't know if you, you, you were there for those summer league games. So I, when Mitch, yeah. Mitch before, the summer before his freshman season, like we were sitting there, we'd watch him play. And I know it's summer league, so yeah, I get it. But like, he was such yeah. a good playmaker that we were like, ooh, can Mitch play some one? Like, he's got a good feel for the game. Finally, they put him at point guard tonight for the first time his whole career, I feel like. That like that was deliberate, it looked like. Don't you – isn't that great? Not for, the, not, not for the first time in his career. If you remember those couple of games when Marcus was out earlier this year against St. John's and against, I yeah. believe it was Butler, he spelled a lot of one in that mm-hmm. situation too. And if you go back to his freshman year – I believe that was the year that uh, Wap got hurt. He uh, no, he, 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 of, he didn't play with uh, me. So yeah, that was the year he was there. The I, year. I'm trying to think about. I'm trying, somebody got hurt that he was initiating a lot of offense uh, in his freshman year. Um, 
like maybe now we, we can always go back to the tape and, and like talk about yeah, it but like i don't know what what impresses me about mitch a lot is because he's such a good three-point shooter he's such a let me say that again he's such a good three-point shooter <laughs> that we literally forget what a great player he is what a great basketball mind mm-hmm. he has because he can do all those things that you're asking him to do but this team is asking him to stretch the floor. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts this year has been when Avery Dingman came on to Welcome to the J podcast. He he used a term that I, I never heard before. And this is why I love Avery. He thinks outside the box in so many different ways. He talked about like Mitch and Ethan and Doug and guys like that. And the term that he used is that the defense has to hold their hand. Meaning no matter where they go in the half court, you literally have to be like that close to that individual that you're holding his hand. That is why DJ gets all those driving lanes. That's why Denzel gets all those driving lanes. That's why Marcus gets all those driving lanes because the defense has to hold Mitch's hand the whole time as he crosses half court. Uh, and I mean, I mean, that in and of itself is a skill. So because the Jays ask him to do that so much, we forget about how great of a playmaker he is. He can dribble up. He can get a defensive rebound, go coast to coast, go N1 like he did tonight and then knock down a free throw, even though apparently he's shooting 56% from the free throw line. You know, he can do all those things. And we've seen him have some great passes or like, uh, God, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the game. I think it was Georgetown on the road, but he had a couple of just like beautiful pump fakes drive it hard to his left hand, get to the paint, make a right decision, either kick it out or finish it with his off hand or with his strong hand um, uh, throughout the year. So I've seen that from him before. I know how good of a playmaker he is. I don't think it should be a surprise to anybody, but if it is, it's because he's so great at this one aspect of the game that you literally forget that he is a basketball player. He has that intuition. He knows what to do with the ball in his hand and he's going to use his intelligence and his court savvy to make the right plays when they're needed. 100%. Um, next question, why was the bench minute? Why were the bench minutes non-existent? Yeah, that was – I don't know. Like, I felt like that was – that might be a situation because the, the starters were getting a little bit, like, tired, I think, in that that 10-minute to, to two-minute stretch, essentially, the second half when they – when UCSB got back in the game. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. there's a tendency when you get in these types of games to just go with the guys you really, really trust in these types of moments. And when you think if you're settling into a game that you feel like is going to come down to a possession or two, you want the guys who understand the value of those possessions and have been – you like kind of dance with who brung you at that point. So that's kind of why I thought it settled right. into like a little bit of a seven-man rotation with – or a six-man rotation with Sharif being the exception, I guess, um, more so than, you know, going eight or nine deep with Alex and Antoine getting multiple rotations in the game. Um, that's just my read on it, though. I'm not really sure. I think coaches tend to do that. In bigger games, they just shrink the rotation and go with the guys they trust the most. So I don't know what your read on it was. Is there is there anything more to it I, than that? that? That's slowly what it is. Hey, guess what, Matt? When I went to prom, guess who I danced with the whole night? Yeah. The person I brought to prom. Yeah. That, that's it. It's as simple as that. I wasn't trying to death row with anybody else. I brought you to prom. Like we're here together. So like yeah. that's exactly what you said. The coaching staff, the 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 rotation shrinks because they literally go with who they have that like 
you know, if if I close my eyes and someone like and I have to like lean backwards and I'm willing to have someone back there catch me, that's who they're gonna go with. Right. So that's exactly what they do. The rotation shrinks. I remember like uh even like throughout all our tournament runs, I remember um as the tournament went on, I played more and more because I earned that spot. I, I was a starter on those teams. And Coach Mack really went to the guys that he trusted the most. So, yeah. like, I, I understand it. Like, my very first game against Alabama, I think I split, like, uh, minutes down the middle with Josh. Yeah. And then, like, against North Carolina, I played a lot more. Against Cincinnati uh, the next year. Uh, was it Cincinnati next year? Yeah, against yep. Cincinnati next year. I kind of mm-hmm. I split it with, like, Avery a little bit. And then, like, against Duke, I played a lot more. And right. then the next year, it's kind of like that. So that's just kind of the nature of the tournament. As games get tighter, you're just going to go with, you know, the people that you trust the most, the people that have, you know, earned that right as well. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it in the locker room session earlier today. Someone asked me why Twan didn't get, uh, you know, a, a minute tonight. Look, I wouldn't be shocked if Coach Mack throws him in early, even maybe before the first media timeout next game, just to kind of see, look, what, what can Tuan give us tonight and just kind of check himself to see, like, did we make a mistake by not playing him? I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of the ball, I wouldn't be shocked if Tuan doesn't play uh, again because Coach Mack is like, we really need this game. Obviously, it's a George guard situation. Yeah, your season's I'm on the line, go right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go with what my gut instincts are. And if my gut instincts tell me that the kid should play, then he'll play. And if it tells me that it shouldn't, it shouldn't. And that's unfortunate for those players. uh, But you also have to understand the gravity of the situation at that point. Yeah, I get it too. I mean, I kind of expected it, honestly. It's just like, it's just what happens. I mean, I I remember you with every big games, like Jahans isn't coming out. (laughs) Like if they've got, yeah. yeah, I I remember I was so shocked. Like when uh, that Wichita State versus Korean, that last uh, Missouri Valley tournament championship game. Mm -hmm. When I looked at the box score after the game, I saw that I played like 38 minutes. I was in shock. Because yeah. Coach Mac like, third game he, he in third in three days and you went 38. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, like I said, like I mentioned it earlier, my job on that team was not to be like this offensive superstar or anything like that. But it literally goes to show like Coach Mac went with his gut instincts at that time. He felt like uh my presence on the court for whatever reason gave the team the best chance to win. And that's not even me like to my own horn or like patting my own back or anything like that. But it just goes to show like that that is what he felt. That's what the coaching staff felt at that time. So I could certainly understand like why the minute discrepancy is going to be a little uh, different when yeah. things are this tight and your season's on the line and, and, and everything that comes with March Madness. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, this isn't a question, uh, but Brian Mintz wants us to know that he just uh, – Shaved his chest, so that's how excited he is from the game. I guess it's good to know. Yo, wow! <laughs> I didn't this ask what so the trick in the night, so <laughs> that, that that is so crazy because God, I wish I never lost my BlackBerry sophomore year. I have a picture on that thing. By the way, lost it at the J. By Lo- the way, what lo- lost it at the J? Lost my BlackBerry at the J when we made it to the tournament my sophomore year. Uh, Ethan Rogge promised all of us that he would shave his chest if we made it, <laughs> and so he did. Oh. There's a phone in the ether of Omaha history somewhere that's got a picture of Ethan Rogge with a shaved chest. Find that phone, people. Let's go. <laughs> Fact-finding mission. 
need that pick. So like, so I don't know why my my mind immediately went to that when you told me that the dude shaved his chest because he was so excited. <laughs> it has happened before. So. It's not the first time that that's been a reaction right. to what Jason says. Okay, all right, it's tradition. Um, let's see, what's next? Um, Andrew Berklin, former manager. Hell uh, yeah, Burke, my guy. Love that's you, right. bro. Shout out to Burks. Uh, wants to know what's the mindset it takes to go from a thrilling close win in the NCAA tournament to locking in for a quick scout of a team you haven't played all season? That's a good question. That's a great question, and I tell you exactly what it is. You have until midnight tonight to celebrate that victory. Okay. As soon as you wake up tomorrow morning, that chapter is closed. You have to look into the future, and you really have to lock in because what Coach Mack is not going to do to these guys is to give them a rigorous practice where they, act, where they can actually drill some of the stuff that either Ohio or Virginia is going to do. In fact, as we're talking about that, let me just kind of look up the score right now. Uh, 28-27 Virginia at halftime. At halftime, okay. So yeah. it's going to be a close game, yeah. maybe. It, it's been a close game so far, so we don't know what they're going to do or, or how it's going to turn out, I should say. So what they're not going to do is go through a rigorous practice where they actually get to dive in and go through every single set. They don't have the time for that. What you absolutely must do as an individual, and trust me, I've been through that situation before, and this is one of those oh yeah, you know, minor regrets that I have, is you absolutely have to pay attention to scouting reports. You absolutely have to be locked in wholeheartedly to the next opponent because you're not going to get to see everything that they do. So like I said, you have until midnight tonight to celebrate that. Like Christian Bishop should be like, yeah, I knocked down that free throw. Like up until midnight, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as the clock strikes midnight, that, that that's all in the past. Tomorrow is a totally new day. Mm-hmm. And if you really like harp on the past that just happened, uh, you're, I mean, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot, uh, gotcha. so to speak. So I remember Alex Holson was my uh, road roommate my senior year. After we beat, uh, God, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast. Yeah. After we beat Louisiana Lafayette and Alfred Payne and those boys, which was a tough matchup for us, not going to lie. Like it was a lot a tougher matchup than we expected. And we saw Baylor was next on the, on the, uh, schedule. Me and Alex Olsen for the next like 30 hours were like, oh, bro, like we're good. Like we're finally going to, we're going to be in LA next week playing Wisconsin, like kind of looking ahead at the bracket. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, uh, not that I'm ashamed of saying this, I was young and dumb and, you know, perhaps I should have been a little bit more wary of the kind of karma I was bringing on to myself, uh-huh. but uh, like I just had the utmost, conf- the utmost confidence in our team that we were going to be able to make it past that round. So like, mm. I was literally just like, oh, they play a zone? What? Boy, we're going to shoot him out the gym. What? <laughs> you, know, you know what we got? Ethan Rogers? You know what we got? Like, Doug McDermott? What are you talking about? Like, this is, you know? And it's just that kind of like looking too far ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say like that, like moments, those moments individually, me and Alex were talking in the room was the reason why we lost. I'm certainly not going to blame it on that. But it just goes to show that the, the amount of focus that you absolutely have to have, you absolutely have to be locked into your next opponent because you never know what's going to happen. This is a one-and-done tournament. At any given point, a point guard that shoots 22% from three all year, like it did against us, is going to end up scoring four threes before the first media timeout. Yeah. And before you know it, you're you're battling your way up. So 
they just absolutely have to stay locked in. They have to stay keyed into what their um, goal is. And uh, if you talk to any of those guys, they know that their goal is to make it to the Sweet 16 for the first time in program history. That is so interesting that you mentioned that because it's probably one of those mm-hmm. things that doesn't get – maybe, you know, just like props to you for admitting it, but it doesn't get talked about because you always assume – that seniors are going to do all the right things and that if they lose, it's they, they, they just weren't to get the better team that day. So it is interesting yeah. that the focus needs to flip real quick because of these short preps, these teams do so much that you can, you can either take it for granted or you can paralyze yourself with trying to learn too much about it and lose focus on the, mm-hmm. when the, when the day comes and then it just spirals out of control and you have no chance to recover from it. So, yeah, that is interesting about how, that, how important the approach to that second game in between is, like how how valuable that time is, even because it's so short. It's, it's gonna go, Saturday, Sunday's going to go by quick for these guys, and then it'll be game day. Right. And that's what I was saying, too, is that, like, it wasn't like I wasn't preparing for Baylor or that I didn't give them, like, the utmost attention is just that mindset of maybe a little bit of overconfidence, especially like being a three seed at the time. I was like, like three seed, six seed? That's what we've been begging for our whole career. Like we always felt like we were being denied a higher seed because we were coming out of the Valley. Being in the Big East gave us that credibility where we're just like, yeah, you know what? We were runner up in the regular season. We were runner up in, in the Big East tournament. We deserve a three seed, but we faced a hot Baylor team that day and we literally, we, we didn't know what to do with them. And that's unfortunate. Uh, but that's why I'm saying, like, these guys, like, they really have to lock in. Like, up until midnight tonight is when you can celebrate this fast victory. As soon as you wake up tomorrow morning, it's a totally different chapter. It's a totally different matchup. It's a totally different set of rules that you're going to have to learn to play within uh, for that particular game. So uh, I, I, I hope the boys have that kind of mindset going into it. it it's certainly one of the, like, I, I always say I have no regrets with my career. And I, and I honestly, I really don't. Like, I had an amazing time at the Hilltop. I, I enjoyed every single second of it. In fact, I get a chance to go on my own individual podcast. I hop on your podcast from time to time, and I get to relive those moments and, and talk about it. Yep. Because they were such great moments. But, like, if I had a mini regret, I guess it would be kind of looking too far forward into time and, like perhaps that that 15% of energy that I gave into thinking, oh, we're going to be in L.A. next week playing against Wisconsin. If I had given maybe that 15% more energy to to that Baylor team and, and the scouting and all that stuff, you know, maybe maybe that changes the uh, the tide for us a little bit. But, you know, you never know about these things. I just know that you absolutely have to be 110% locked in or else you're kind of, you know, writing your own grave uh, at, at that at that point. Well, honestly, I'm proud of you for even mentioning Baylor and mentioning that because normally if I brought up Baylor around you, it would result in like death threats. So I, it's, yeah, you've grown a lot in these last few years to be able to bring that up and talk about it. I, I, it's funny you say that because I've watched every single collegiate game of mine. That is the one game I've never watched. I'll be absolutely honest about that. I refuse to watch highlights uh, that like the whole game, like, and I've done it. Look, I'll be honest. I'll admit another thing on this on this part. Look, I'm, this is the first for me. I love being a little bit of a, a here we a go. Roman Coke, <laughs> Roman Coke from now on before Jay gets because, on the mic. <laughs> listen, I every once in a while, like, okay, I'll, I'll use a perfect example this year. So the Jays happened to play their first Big East game against Marquette, correct? This year, 
my senior year was the first Big East game in Korean history was against Marquette too. Before I watched that game against Marquette, which this year the boys unfortunately lost, I spent like two hours before watching my own game just because like I, I love like reliving that moment. To hear the crowd come out of the timeout yelling, sweet Caroline, watching Marquette turn the ball over and like watching our boys come down and score the instant possession and hearing the crowd pop one more time. Like I, I, I live for those moments and I love to go back and like watch all those things. So like I, every once in a while I'll catch myself like maybe watching like one or two or three games of my senior year just because like I thoroughly enjoyed those moments and, and it means a lot to me uh, that we were able to do that with, especially with the group of guys that I had. Like I love those guys to this day. It's so fun to catch up with those guys and, and to see what they're doing and what they're up to. Like this is a real brotherhood that we've built beyond basketball. So like, those are the things that excite me. And that is why I don't want this group of guys to take this next step for granted, because like, I know they're going to be in my shoes seven years later, like I am right now, reliving those moments and being like, God damn it. Like we, we, we should have done it. Like against Ohio against Virginia, we should have had them or whatever the case may be. So I don't want those guys to uh, like have those types of memories. And trust me, like from experience, those memories, like they're, they're beautiful, but they also suck because it kind of eats away at me that we couldn't get past that Baylor team and be that first team to make it to the C-16. Well, dude, I swear I appreciate that perspective because I know how much pain that that game gives you because I've seen you every year <laughs> since then, and I know how hard it's been to even bring up that name around you. So I know that that's like <laughs> yeah. this is quite a step you're taking here. Maybe it's the rum and coke, but maybe it's just like uh-huh. Jahan's becoming a grown-up here. Who knows? <laughs> maybe it's a beautiful combination of the two. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> uh let's see uh that was a good question from Burke though um so next question is from yeah Ross. shout out to Burke too like that, that's my guy he used to rebound for me in the yeah. summertime too him and Kevin Jewell they spent a lot of time rebounding for me so I love those guys man like the managers at Crane Michael Vandervoort like all those guys like I absolutely yeah. appreciate all you guys uh such a good a uh, group of guys so unselfish they're the unsung heroes of the program mm-hmm. uh, shout out to Pop like, I love you too, bro. Like, all those guys did so much for me. Uh, obviously, as, uh, when I was a current student athlete and in my time as a pro coming back to working out. So uh, I appreciate all you guys. And, like, you deserve your own special moment too. And you deserve your flowers while you're still on this side of earth. So I love you guys. Appreciate you guys, man. You guys are the dopest. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad Creighton honors them on Senior Day because they definitely do a lot of work to keep that program running. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, Rob Sims wants, Rob, Rob wants to know. He's curious from Jahan's. Uh, how will Bishop's legs or everyone for that matter uh, feel for the second round? He played so many crucial minutes and extended, spending a lot of energy wondering from a player's standpoint, how that impacts you on a short turnaround. They are in their hotel rooms right now. I'm pretty sure they got some food in their system and I'm pretty sure their coaching staff is watching the current Ohio versus Virginia game. So they're a little bit, you know, in their own world right now, as far as the coaching staff is concerned. But I know that the training staff has established ice baths in those guys' hotel rooms <laughs> to make sure that they're getting their treatment in because that's exactly what they used to do with us. And I'm assuming that, you know, like if it's not broke, don't fix it. Co- uh, I almost said Coach Ben. Uh, ben McNair, uh, shout out to him too. Uh, used to always make sure that the players were right uh, for the next game. 
uh, as much as I hated it, he used to literally have to shove me into that ice bath after tournament games, whether it be Missouri Valley Conference or Big East Conference or, you know, obviously NCAA tournament uh, games. So I know that those guys are getting their treatment right now. Honestly, that is kind of, oh, I shouldn't say the least of my worries, um, but I know that it's something that, like, I'm not necessarily too worried about because I know that the staff is going to make sure that they're prepared and, and ready to go for the next game. Um, Jacob Padilla has a two for one. Um, so looking at the scoring drought in the second half when UCSB made its comeback, uh, Creighton and Denzel in particular got a lot of decent looks from three and none of them fell. From a player's perspective, how should they approach that situation when you're getting good looks and they're just not going in? That, that, that's a really good question because like you have the tendency to kind of second guess yourself a little bit especially like uh so what, what's been happening with me uh recently as a pro is sometimes like I'll go I'll end the first half and I would have made like maybe like three or four threes and then for whatever reason I come out of halftime and the first two shots that I shoot don't go in and then I kind of get into my own head like oh man like I, I shouldn't shoot the next shot but like uh, understanding myself and understanding like the, the amount of work that I've put in, like it's only reasonable for me to keep shooting because like I'm, I'm giving my team a better shot at winning uh, by taking those shots than by turning down those shots and trying to look for another option before you know it, like the shot clock runs down and we don't get a better quality shot than the one that I turned down earlier in the possession. So those guys just have to remain confident. Uh, like I said, like I, I trust those kids. I've seen the kind of work that they've put in and, and so have you. Uh, we talked about earlier in, in this conversation about like the amount of gym rats that is on this team, like whether they're on the starting five or, or coming off the bench or, you know, whatever their role is on the team. So those guys just have to keep shooting those shots and just kind of trust, you know, their rhythm and, and, and all the work that they've put in. And then sky's the limit for them because, you know, as, as dreadful as, as the Jays been in the last couple of games, again, like I hate to bring this back, but the Georgetown, the Big East championship game, uh, and then tonight where they weren't shooting that great a percentage from three, as dreadful as they've been, think about the games where they're on and they're knocking down 13, 14, 15 threes. No team can beat them in those type of games. And, and you just kind of have to like rely on that because those guys are good guys. They put in the work. And then they just have to remain confident in themselves that when the next shot is available, they're going to shoot it with confidence and the ball is going to go down the hole. Sorry, I hung myself on mute. Um, and the next question is, uh, <laughs> this is our, I think this is our last one too. Um, <laughs> actually, it might go along the same lines. Can you do... Oh, okay. So here's a part of it that's new. Is there something different you would have done, Jahens, uh, during that stretch to kind of, to try to get Creighton going again before the? I mean, because the whole run was 21 to five, and I think it lasted about eight minutes. So, yeah. what would you do, like from your experiences? What's the way to 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 stem that a little bit? Um, maybe cut it down to like you know 13 to five or something like that in a five minute stretch as opposed to 21 to five over eight minutes how do you how do you curb that a little bit Who? uh okay so and this is why i'm wondering like is that question of like if i was a current player on this current team or me in my time while i was playing and the team is going on a run against us what would i have done in that situation yeah so give me the give me the senior year 
Jahan's senior leader got to get a huddle together. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the thing's going sideways a little bit here, but you got to regroup on the floor. You don't want Mac to burn a timeout that he might need late in the game. Just what Mm -hmm. would you tell your guys to get you to just calm down, like execute a possession here, um, make it clean, make it play hard and get something good out of it. So if it was me in my senior year, uh, honestly, because of the, experience and the maturity that that group of guys had I wouldn't necessarily have to say much but I would definitely make sure that my voice is heard in the next little huddle either it'd be like after a a dead ball or like after a free throw or whatever the case may be I would definitely get into the guy's face kind of make sure I look at everybody in the eyes and make sure that they understand like the gravity of the moment like guys like we need to get a stop right here right now like that would be like kind of my mentality and I I learned to uh, do that throughout the years at the Hilltop, uh, being able to speak to individual teammates of mine in different ways was critical in my uh, leadership. I remember my sophomore year, the first time I got voted as a captain, uh, we were going through two days and, uh, you know, I, I was the, I was the loud guy. I was the raw, raw guy. And at that point in time, I didn't necessarily understand that not everybody like follows that type of leadership. So I remember one time, uh, like I think Greg Rich and EK made a mistake defensively and I got into his face about it and he gave me a high five and he was like, okay, like I got you. And then he didn't make that mistake like the next possession. Contrary to like Ethan Roggy, who was on my team a couple of days later and I got into his face about it and he brought me respectfully my uh, may I say this he brought me like to the side after practice and he said Jay like I understand what the message is but I'm not the type of guy that you could just yell in my face like that so you have to understand that I'm not going to respond well to those types of situations that I gave him a I, like we shook hands and I understood from that point on like when I speak to Ethan when I speak to like a guy like Austin it's not that like they they're softer or whatever the case may be it's just some guys just don't you know like that's not how they vibe yeah you all respond differently right like yeah exactly because what you're doing as a leader is you're trying to get the best out of that person right so what they're communicating back to you is the best doesn't come out of them in if you talk to them a certain way yeah yeah And, and, and that's the thing is that it's no hard feelings it's whatever the case may be but like i knew like i can get i knew i could yell at doug i knew i could yell at Ethan, or not ethan sorry i knew i could yell at greg Right, but like Austin and, and Ethan and, and Grant to some degree, like those aren't the guys that I could be like, "Come on, man, let's fucking go!" Like, get your shit together. I couldn't yeah. really talk to them like that. Right, I have to be like, "Yo, Ethan, like, let's go." You know, you know where you're supposed to be. Just be there. And he look at me and say, "Like, okay, Jay, like, I got you." Or like, even vice versa for me. Like, I mean, kudos to Ethan and Austin and all those guys, Grant. Like, the way that they like to be treated is also not the way that they were like they wouldn't do the like flip it when they try to treat you in that certain way. So like, I would never have Ethan like cuss me out or yell at me because he understood like that was the relationship that we garnered. So like, like I said, like my senior year, because we had such like maturity on that team and experience, like I knew exactly how to speak to all those individual guys mm-hmm. uh, to, to try and like, you know, turn the tide in, in our favor. Uh, if I was a current guy uh it, in this group of team, like I said, like I, I would hope that at that point I would have built the same kind of relationships with like each of those individual guys to be able to talk to them in the way that they like to be talked to, mm-hmm. but also to make them understand the situation that we're in, what needs to get done, 
and exactly, you know, how we're going to stop this run from happening because you, you feel a run coming because you kind of feel it like, okay, 5-0, 7-0, 10-0. Yeah. Like you, you feel it as a player and you feel the tide turn. So like for me, especially, I would just be like, yo, come on, like Mitch, like, let's go. Like what's going on? Like, you know, or, 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 you know, whatever I need to be, whatever I need to say, I, I would try to like express it to those guys in order to understand, let them understand that I'm not upset with them, but something certainly needs to change right here, right now. So how the message is conveyed is as important as what the message is in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and my old AU coach used to say that to me, shout out coach Waterman. He used to say like, don't listen to how the message is conveyed. What is the message, you know? Yeah. And that's something that like each player needs to understand. What is the message? Which is why like, I, I grew up being coached super hard. Mm-hmm. So coach Max style of coaching, uh, especially for me, like in the practice setting where like, you know, most people don't see that, but coach Mac coached me super hard. Like he used to get in my grill about a whole lot of stuff. And sometimes I would like, you know, kind of like talk back or whatever it gets me because like him and I had that relationship built where like we could mm-hmm. do that back and forth. But I think he understood which is what I said, go back to what I said earlier. He's always telling me like, I don't care what you have to do. Stand on your head. If you have to just do what you have to do. Yeah. And him and I had that kind of understanding and I appreciate him for that because like off the court, he was this big friendly teddy bear that he could like, kind of, <laughs> he, he would, he, he would hug you and like, like bring you under his wing and like, and like talk to you and all that stuff. But like on the court, he was very intense, especially like when it came to me mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, I mentioned it just now too about like him coaching guys different ways. Like the way that he coached me is not necessarily the, the way that he coached Austin. And that's totally fine um, because he also understood, you know, different guys like respond to the message in different ways. Mm-hmm. And he helped me understand that too as a leader. So uh, like those guys just have to kind of figure out like what needs to be said in that moment for them to really like put their foot down and really put their stamp on the game and really turn the tide from, a negative run to see if they can go on a positive run for themselves. Gotcha. Well, Jahans, I appreciate you, man. The sun is setting here. Yes, in Omaha, so we're going to lock <laughs> in on this sun setting here. So we're going to lock in on this Virginia, Ohio game, get some scout in. Um, Hell yeah. Second half of this game. We have to get it in. That's right. We got to learn. We got to learn the opponent too. Right. I don't know what we're talking about. Um, right. So yeah, I appreciate you, man. I, everybody check out Jahans on field of 68. Uh, He's got that uh, Welcome to the J podcast rolling. He's got great guests on all the time. Hell yeah. Um, he just had Isaiah Zierden on. He's had Jalen Agnew on. Whole bunch, like everybody, name it. He's had him on. Like that thing is awesome. If you're if you're into the old days, Jays, he's bringing you back. So check out that on Field of 68. Um, it's on iTunes. It's on, is it on Spotify, right? On uh, Spotify as well, yeah. Cool, yeah. So check that out if you're not already into that yet. Um, Jay, man, appreciate you. Always love shooting the shit with you after games man no problem we need to do this more often i understand that our schedules are kind of crazy obviously with my season over here and then the time difference like those are two factors that stop us from doing this more often but i love talking to you i love talking korean basketball obviously and like you said like this year being on this side of the media has allowed me to really reconnect with some of my former teammates and i love uh those stories that those guys have brought in sometimes i'm surprised by a story that i either forget or like (laughs) didn't even know about and then every once in a while i'm the one provoking those guys to say some things that they don't want to say which i also love uh yeah you just said i just had a a podcast with isaiah zeard and isaiah and i we have such a great relationship he's one of my best friends Mm -hmm. we had jillian agnew on who was our first female guest where hopefully 
I'm looking to line up a, a couple more female guests on, on the podcast because I know you guys are interested in, you know, the the women's basketball program as well with all the great stuff that they're doing over there. So, dude, thank you so much for having me, man. Let's just mm-hmm. hope that the Jays can win <laughs> six one-point <laughs> one games. I'll be happy with that. Six one-point games and you're hanging a banner, baby. That's all that matters. Six Absolutely. Games. Absolutely, man. All right, everybody. Uh, yeah. Um, thanks for your questions. Thanks for your feedback. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We will talk to you guys again on Monday. I don't even know what time they tip yet. So, yeah, Monday sometime. Take it easy, everybody. Sounds good.